0: From Hollywood, it's time now for.
1: Johnny Deller.
2: Bert Major, Johnny. Masters Insurance and Trust.
1: Oh, hi, Bert. Do
2: you know anything about spacemen?
1: Never saw any, if that's what you mean.
2: Neither have I. But I know somebody who thinks he's been contacted by them.
1: Oh, sure. I have some whimsical friends, too.
2: Not funny, Johnny. The company is betting $2 million that this man is either a liar or pulling one of the biggest hoaxes in history. $2 million? That's right. Conrad Billings. Ever hear of him?
1: Billings. Texas oil. One of the richest men in the country.
2: Right. Presently of California, where he's holed up in an isolated mountaintop lodge.
1: Minus a $2 million collection of diamonds he took up there with him. And you insured them?
3: Yes. But
2: not against ordinary
1: theft. What does that mean? Those stones were insured against theft by
2: persons or things unknown on this earth.
1: What? That's right. Holy... You... You're serious, aren't you? You
2: bet I'm serious.
1: Okay, Bert, I'll see you at your office.
0: Bob Bailey in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And now, act one of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar.
1: <laughs> Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Home Office, Master's Insurance and Trust Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Diamond Dilemma matter. Expense account item one, $3.20 for a taxi to the office of Bert Major. I've known Bert a long time, and he's been in and out of too
2: many deals, big and little, to get excited over nothing. But he was excited now. This whole thing is incredible, Johnny. Fantastic. It's utterly impossible for $2 million worth of diamonds to simply vanish into thin air. So it's impossible. But it's happened. The police out there in California state positively that no man on earth could possibly have gotten to those stones.
1: Then Bertram, tell me all.
2: All right. Two weeks ago, Conrad Billings called me from his lodge up in Northern California. Said he wanted to insure the diamonds immediately. Over the phone? Over the phone.
1: You're sure it was really he?
2: I'm not that naive. I had the call traced.
1: How come he called
2: you? We've done some business with a wealthy friend of his in Dallas. Uh, recommended. Uh huh. And he had the stones with him there at the lodge? Yes. And, Johnny, it's one of the most isolated spots on earth. You're sure he had them there? He loves diamonds, Johnny, almost to the point of obsession. He plays with them like a kid plays with marbles. Lord knows he can afford to. So you insured two million worth of
1: diamond marbles over the phone. I did. And you say you weren't naïve. all. Oh, look, uh, a remote lodge, an eccentric old man, some expensive baubles. Ah, uh, a rank amateur could
2: get at him. You haven't listened to me, Johnny. You've missed the point entirely. I wouldn't care if he left the diamonds lying out on, on his front doorstep. I insured those diamonds solely against theft by persons or things unknown on this earth. That's the exact wording of the policy. And now they're gone. Yes.
1: So, someone took them. Prove it.
2: What? Someone
1: and not something. Now, why would anybody in his right mind want to
2: insure against theft by other than people? I asked myself that question. My answer was that a billionaire in active command of his business empire must be of sound mind. And if he wants to satisfy a whim and is willing to pay for it, Why should my company refuse his money?
1: You think maybe he has an obsession about flying
2: saucers and the people or things who fly them? Uh, Who knows? Or what knows? Johnny, you've got to go out there and make some sense out of all this. (sighs) Who are the contacts so far? The head of his San Francisco office, Norton Shields. The chief of police in Lakeview, about uh, 30 miles from Billings Lodge, and uh, the insurer.
1: Okay, I'll call you, Bert. But not from Mars. Expense account out of 2, $280, deluxe flight with trimmings, Hartford to San Francisco. A piece of fog was rolling up Market Street, and it was 2 a.m. when I finally got to the office of Billings Enterprises and met Norton Shields. He was wide awake, sharp, about 35.
4: Yes, Mr. Dollar, I've been in charge of Billings' West Coast operation for 10 years, with time out for Korea. Pretty uh, young for such a responsibility. Billings hired me because I know the oil business. I learned it young. Ah, uh-huh. you like him? You don't have to like a man just because you work for him. He's shrewd and knows how to make money. But he has foibles. Yes, he has foibles. Diamonds. Have you ever seen them? Sure. Where? Oh, here in the office, at the lodge where he is now, at his home.
1: You're certain he took them up to that lodge?
4: Three weeks ago tonight, they were spread out right here on this desk. He put them one by one in a chamois bag, put the bag in his pocket. I walked into his car and
1: he was driven straight to the lodge. All right. What about the, uh... The uh, flying saucers, the spacemen, or whatever it is. No,
4: <laughs> that's a new one. I learned of it when Mr. Major Call disclosed the terms of the insurance and the fact that the diamonds had been, uh, well, that they were gone. You haven't talked this over with Billings himself? No, no, I haven't.
1: Don't you think you should?
4: Why? If he wants me, he'll call me. How do I get to this lodge? I have a company plane and pilot ready to fly you to Clear Lake in the morning. You'll be met there by a car and driver. Anything else you want, call me.
1: (laughs) Why all the cooperation when you're not even supposed to know what's going on? A good lieutenant
4: knows when to follow orders before they're issued. You're registered at the Mark Hopkins.
1: You better get some sleep. Yeah, I may need it.
0: yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. And now, act two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and the Diamond Dilemma Matter.
1: The company plane turned out to be a plush two-engine amphibian waiting for me at a private dock near the Golden Gate Bridge. The pilot introduced himself, and we headed due north up San Pablo Bay, and then northwest past the Valley of the Moon. Then, a few minutes later, we glided in for a landing on Clear Lake, the largest body of water in the state of California. There, I was met by a car and a driver, as promised. How far is it to Mr. Billings' lodge, driver? About 30 miles. What do you do when Mr. Billings isn't here? Wait for him. Do you, uh, live at the lodge? Nobody does. Just Mr. Billings. No caretakers? uh, Housekeepers? Anything like that? Just Mr. Billings. Well, surely there must be someone to look Look, after. Look, mister, I'm hired to drive a car. I do it. And that's all. The car twisted and turned through some lush country... ...then left the highway and climbed a narrow mountain road... ...with signs every couple of hundred yards marked private in big letters. After several miles of this, during which we passed through a couple of gates that had to be opened manually... We came to a high steel wire gate with equally high fencing stretching out in either direction. A small redwood blockhouse squatted inside. The driver made a U-turn, stopped in front of this gate, then reached around and opened the door. This is it, mister. This is it? Yep. Okay, if you say so. But if this is a millionaire's idea... Hey, hey, wait a minute! Well... If this really is the place, I may as well get...
5: Can't back. you read? You touch that gate and you'll be electrocuted. What? Your name, Dalla.
1: That's right. Who are you and what's the Speak idea?
5: Speak up! Where were you at exactly 2 o'clock yesterday afternoon?
1: Well, if it means anything to you, I was talking with a man named Bert Major in Hartford, Connecticut. Come in big gate swung open, and I gingerly walked through it as per instruction from a loudspeaker nestled in the wall of the Redwood blockhouse.
5: You drive, don't you? Yes. Then get in that car you see there and follow the road.
1: The car referred to by the voice was parked against the blockhouse on the far side. I did as I was told. After a while, the road narrowed to a single track and continued on up the mountain. At one point, there was a solid granite overhang, a sheer drop of a thousand feet or more and another gate that opened as I approached it then closed behind me. Finally, I rounded a turn where a fill had been made, and a moment later, it came out on top. A few hundred yards away, across the terrace top of the mountain, was a charming, rustic lodge. I drove over to it.
5: Good morning, Mr. Dollar.
1: Mr. Billings?
5: Come in, come in.
1: Hearing about this man was strange enough. Seeing him was even more of a shock. About five foot two, flashing gray eyes, bullet ball. He was wearing a baggy old jacket that hung nearly to
5: his knees. This way. I want you to see my view of the lakes below. Well? Beautiful. What was that? I said... I said Beautiful. Yes. Yes, it is. Now, uh, Mr. Major has informed you of the insurance on my diamonds, which disappeared two nights ago. Yes, sir. He told me that Speak you'd... up!
1: He told me you insured $2 million worth of diamonds against theft by persons or things
5: unknown on this earth. Exactly. And I wish to collect from your company on that basis. Well, I... Tell me, where did you keep them? Right here on this table in front of the window. Right here. You mean to say you didn't lock up such valuable property? <laughs> Mr. Dollar, let me show you something. Look here, on my control panel. Do you recall the series of gates you passed through after leaving the main road? Yeah, very well. Well, by means of my electronic devices, I followed your progress every inch of the way. Well, I'll be done. I watched your arrival at the main gate on this video screen. Ingenious, eh?
1: That's putting it mildly. What
5: did you say? I say that's putting it mildly. Yes. As I'm sure you notice, this mountaintop is completely encircled by a 12-foot electrified fence. Between it and the inner fence is a maze of photoelectric cells. This panel controls floodlights with which I can cover every inch of ground between the two fences. These viewers are geared to the floodlights. All of this equipment is automatically activated on contact. In short, Mr. Dollar... I can detect and follow any person or thing which moves through or between these two fences.
1: Anyone who knows electricity could
5: cut your fences and come right on up the road. I did not say this mountaintop was impregnable. I said no one could reach it without my knowledge. Why did you take out
1: such limited insurance on your diamonds, Mr. Billings?
5: I've made my money by leaving nothing, absolutely nothing, to chance. Now that man has projected objects into outer space, it is reasonable to assume that other planets may be ahead of us in technical endeavors. Diamonds would be of tremendous value to an unknown civilization.
1: Well, look, how do I know this is not just an elaborate scheme to collect $2 million? A fair question, Mr. Dollar. What would prevent you from hiding those diamonds somewhere on this
5: mountain? I should consider that question an affront to my integrity, but under the circumstances, I do not. I simply defy you to find them. Then, what's your explanation of their disappearance? I have none. And unless you find one, I intend to collect from your company under the terms of the policy. Uh, Mr.
1: Major mentioned the uh, chief of police in Lakeview. Do you mind if I talk to him? Andy Prentice, Not
5: at all. I have a direct phone to his office and his home. Would you care to talk to him now? Uh, No, thanks.
1: But I would like to use your car.
5: By all means. I'll open the gates for you uh, on your way down. Uh, Just one point. There must be no publicity on this matter. Understood? Mr. Billings, if I can't prove that your diamonds were
1: taken by a person, those space cats are going to get a lot of publicity. Act three of yours
0: truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. And now, act three of yours truly,
1: Johnny Dollar, and the Diamond Dilemma Matters. While I drove down the mountain with gates electronically opening and closing behind me, I did some thinking. Billings had bought and paid for his privacy at tremendous cost. I couldn't see any loopholes in the setup. Yet, the diamonds had disappeared. Hm. Forty five minutes later, I pulled up in front of the police station in Lakeview. Obviously, I was expected by the chief of police, Andy Prentice. Well, Mr. Dollar, my name's Prentice. Might if I join you? Um, no, no, hop in. Just cruise down by the lake.
0: I'm sure you want this to be a private conversation, too. Good idea.
1: Well, what's your opinion on the diamonds? Well, I don't know who took them. But I'll tell you one thing. I don't believe it was some thing or somebody from outer space. Well, how would you get through all those electrified fences, photoelectric cells, floodlights, and closed-circuit viewers? Uh, yeah. Well, what's your opinion? Uh, I'm as practical and logical as the next fellow. If a human being couldn't get to Mr. Billings without his knowledge and he'd call me the moment somebody tried... Well, oh, sure. Spaceman. Well, what else? I noticed one thing, Chief. He's a little hard of hearing and doesn't wear a hearing aid. He doesn't need one. Just turns up the volume on all that electronic stuff he has around him. Well, suppose someone parachuted onto the top of that mountain. How would he get out? man could dig under those fences. That would leave evidence, and I've been over every inch of the ground. I've even thought of the expert pole vaulter idea. No sign. Nothing makes any sense. I see what you mean. How about a ride in Billings' private plane? I'd like to take a look at that mountain from the air. I don't know what good it'll do you, but I'll go along. Well, maybe there are spacemen, but I still don't believe it. Coming to it now. See the road winding up? And and, and there's the lodge. Yeah. I asked the pilot to circle around the top as close as the air pockets will permit. Good. Chief, have the pilot drop down just below the top and steer a course between the two fences all the way around. Whatever you say. Oh, pilot! For the next few minutes, I studied the top of that mountain from all possible angles. The road leading up to it, the terraces, the lodge itself. Suddenly, an idea hit me. And a few minutes later, I left a somewhat puzzled chief of police at the landing dock on Clear Lake. An hour later, I was explaining who I was and what I wanted to do to a somewhat incredulous captain of police at San Francisco's International Airport. I finally convinced him I wasn't out of my mind, and he reluctantly agreed to cooperate. Then, about dusk, I found myself exactly where I wanted to be. On top of Billings Mountain calmly walking toward the lodge. Good evening, Mr. Billings. What? I said good evening, sir. Mr. Dollar. Why, I I don't understand. See? No space suit. Why, I, I can't believe it.
5: How did you do it? How did you get here?
1: The same way as the man who stole your diamonds.
5: But this is impossible. Impossible. My electric system gave me no warning.
1: That's because you have it located in the wrong place. What? It's in the two fences and between them, halfway down the mountain. Above them, there is one level spot, 50 yards across, that isn't covered by your automatic whistles and bells.
5: But it isn't... And it isn't... Uh, it, 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 it's not necessary.
1: Wrong. It's just big enough for a helicopter which is waiting for me out there right now. A
5: helicopter?
1: You didn't see us because we came in and landed below your line of sight. You didn't hear us because you
5: don't wear a hearing aid. I can't believe it. But you... You must be right. And you'll
1: have to agree that your diamonds were not stolen by persons or things unknown on this earth. The terms of the policy. Of
5: course, of course, I disallow all claim, but I... Good, good. Now, uh... It's uh, none
1: of my business, Mr. Billings, but was your San Francisco manager, Norton Shields, a pilot during the time he was in Korea?
5: Why, yes. He flew rescue missions in a helicopter.
1: Yeah. The company that insured your diamonds against ordinary theft might be interested to learn that.
5: Good night, Mr. Billings. Yes. Good night, Mr. Teller. <laughs>
1: You know, in some ways, I felt sorry for him. He'd spent millions of dollars to ensure his diamonds and his privacy. Came a real showdown, and it turned out he had neither. Oh, he'll get his diamonds back, sure, and probably buy some more. But privacy, with or without money, is a pretty hard thing to come by. At least in this man's world. Expense account total, including incidentals and transportation back to Hartford, $284.30. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
0: star will return in just a moment.
1: Now here is our star to tell you about next week's story. Next week, a moth, a tiny moth, solves a case involving our national security. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
0: Truly Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, originates in Hollywood and is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Today's story was written by Alan Botsey. Heard in our cast were Edwin Jerome, Paul Duboff, Frank Gerstle, Junius Matthews, and Marvin Miller. Be sure to join us next week, same time and station, for another exciting story of yours truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Dan Cumberly speaking. Hollywood. It's time now
1: for... Johnny Dollar. Earl Poorman. Hi, Earl. How are things down in sunny Florida? How
2: soon can you come down here,
1: Johnny? You got troubles?
2: Yes, over a $2,000 insurance claim.
1: Oh, now wait, Earl. How can you justify my fee and expense account on a claim as small as that? Johnny. Yeah? The responsibilities of an insurance company sometimes involve far more than just collecting premiums and paying off on claims. Well, sure. Keeping your clients happy. A little good old public service now, there. That's right. Even
5: a little attention
1: to our national security. Sure. But on such a small policy, I still don't see how you can justify national security.
5: Yes, Johnny.
1: I'll grab the first plane.
0: Bob Bailey, in the exciting adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. And now, Act One of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar.
1: <laughs> Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. The Tri-State Life and Casualty Insurance Company, Sarasota, Florida. Following is an account of expenses incurred during my investigation of the Wayward Moth matter. Expense account item one ninety six twenty plane fare and incidentals Hartford Connecticut to Sarasota Florida. There I was met at the airport by my old friend and fishing pal Earl Poorman, and we drove on into town. You uh, like my new car, Johnny? When aren't you driving a new car? Well, now let's get down to Electric cases. windows, power seat, air conditioning. Yeah, sure. Look, you said something about national security in connection with this insurance claim.
3: Yes, Johnny, I did.
1: Well, explain yourself. Well, that's the trouble. I can't. You mean to say you had me fly all the way down now, here? Now, now, wait,
3: Johnny.
6: Or, or was
1: it just some trick to impeach me into fishing, huh? Is that it? A crack at some of the great Florida fishing you've been promising me all these years? Well, who knows? Maybe while you're here, we will be able to get in some fishing, too. Two? In addition to what? Sure, Johnny. I just had my boat repainted, the engine over. We'll go out in the Gulf for kings and look, bluefish. Earl. And in the bay and the bayou back of the house, I promise you redfish and sea trout until you get tired reeling on. All right, all right. Just tell me why you've had me come all the way down here to investigate a lousy $2,000 claim. I told you I don't really know. <sighs> all right, Earl. National security is involved. Yes. Well? Okay, Johnny. I issued a policy covering the chemical plant of Dr. John C. Allworth. What kind of chemicals? Well, you see, I don't know. You... Huh? I issued the policy at the specific request of Todd Swamp. Who's he? Chamber of Commerce. Knows more about this whole area and its people than anyone else. Well, surely you've seen this chemical lab. No, I haven't. You what? As a matter of fact, its exact location is a complete secret. Oh, now, now look, Earl. If, you, if you've issued a policy, if you're ready to pay off a claim... But if you haven't seen... Look, how do you know a couple of thousand dollars' worth of damage occurred? I've taken Todd Swam's word for it. I trust him implicitly. This is the doggoneest, Earl, how can I possibly investigate something if I can't even... If nobody knows what... Ah, I give up. I'm sure that Todd will tell you everything. I'll take you in, introduce you to him, then I'll leave you with him. Leave me? That's the way he says it has to be. Here, take the keys to my car. You'll probably need them. But how will you get them? And... If you need anything or if I can be of help, you know where to call me, at the office or at the house out on St. Armand's Key. Come on, let's go in. Todd Swann was a young, pleasant, aggressive sort of chap. Serious, alert, receptive. He thanked Earl for bringing me, then led me alone into his private office. Sit down, Johnny, and I'll get right to the point. Ah, Thanks. I know all about you, at least all I need to know. Not only from Earl Poorman, but from a lot of the cases you've handled. Well, then you went up on me. I also know that on occasion you've handled security matters, worked hand in glove with the FBI and so on. So? All right. My job here is not only to promote Sarasota, tell the world what a nice place it is to live, nice people, good homes, ideal climate. Great fishing. Yes, fishing, boating, just about everything. Okay, okay, I'm sold. But what about this Dr. John Allworth? My job is also to be of whatever service I can to the people of the city. All right. Dr. Allworth has lived here for years. Chemist, retired. Until recently, that is. Well, go on. Now, in his small laboratory, carefully hidden in the swamps of the Everglades, for security reasons, Dr. Allworth is producing an important rocket fuel ingredient. All? For use at one of the testing centers here in Florida. Cape Canaveral? Uh, he and his assistant work entirely alone, for obvious reasons. Look, Earl says there's been some damage at his place. That's why I asked him to have you come down But only a couple of thousand dollars worth. That is beside the point, Johnny. I think it's a case of sabotage. But if nobody's even permitted to know where the place is. And if you're ready, we'll go out there right away. Okay? Right.
0: Act Two of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. And now, Act Two of yours truly, Johnny
1: Dollar, and the Wayward Moth Matter. Todd Swam, manager of the Sarasota Chamber of Commerce, suggested we use two cars, so I got behind the wheel of the one Earl Poorman had left for me and followed him. We drove south on Highway 41 through Fort Myers, then swung left on Route 82 into the Everglades, and finally into the Big Cypress Swamp Country. A few miles further south, I'm not permitted to say how many, we left the main road for a pair of wagon tracks leading into the swampy jungle. We stopped in a little clearing. From a small shack on the edge of a bio, a tall husky Indian emerged. He lowered his high powered rifle as he recognized Todd Swam and walked over to where we'd parked.
2: You bring a man, Mr. Todd.
1: Ben Osceola, this is Mr. Johnny Dollar. Hi, Ben. How do you do, Mr. Johnny? Ben, he's to be let through here anytime he wants. Very well, Mr. Todd. Have you the airboat ready for us? Already, back of my house. Good. Come on, Johnny. The airboat parked on the edge of a bayou back of Ben Osceola's shack was an aluminum hull about 12 foot long, square across the bow instead of pointed. Two high seats were built up on it. At the back was a powerful motor with a propeller of the airplane type. Todd Swam and I climbed onto the precarious little seats, and we took off. And Brother, I mean, took off. What a ride. The airboat half planed, half-skipped over the shallow water of the bayou. Perched up over the hull itself, I kept waiting for us to flip. After a quarter mile or so, we came on a vast plain of soggy, grassy marshland, splotched here and there with patches of clear water. Now and then, on half-submerged logs, big turtles quickly drew in their heads as we approached. More than once, a huge alligator gave us the B.D.I., then quietly sank below the surface of a shallow pool. Plenty of rattlers and cottonmouths around here, too. Thanks a lot. Finally, we pulled up to an acre or so of brush and trees, but almost like an island in the middle of the swamp. On it sat a long, low building made of concrete block. This is the place, Johnny. Unless you'd like to ride around a bit more. No, thanks. Todd Swam got the introductions over in a hurry. Dr. Allworth, a short, wiry old man with sharp features and a shock of white hair, led us into the laboratory building.
3: No, no, Mr. Deller. not in there. Oh, No one is permitted in the laboratory except myself and my assistant. Oh, I'm sorry, Doctor. You lead the way. About your assistant, Dr. Alworth... It was in the vault that the accident occurred. It was an accident. Ah, Of course it was. Who would possibly want to... Plenty of people, Doctor, and you know it. It may sound corny, but this whole country has enough enemy agents. Uh, You speak as though we were at war, Todd. Well, we're certainly in a cold war. And speaking of agents... Uh, a moment, please, gentlemen, while I work the combination of this lock.
1: This vault looks big enough for a bank.
3: In it, I keep two things, Mr. Deller: The finished rocket fuel component... Uh. ...and the delicate apparatus with which I complete the final secret stage of its production. Apparatus no one but myself has ever seen. And you're letting us see it? Well, the accident has rendered it completely unrecognizable. I still haven't learned what happened here,
1: you know. Matter of fact, I haven't either, Johnny. I certainly have my suspicions. Doctor...
3: Uh, There we are. No, 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 no. Don't go in. Well, I... uh... The substance on the floor is so corrosive that... Well, look. You can see how the legs of that heavy metal table have completely corroded, left nothing but a pile of splintered metal and rust... The rocket fuel did that? Now, there, in the corner at your left, are the rotting, tangled remains of the apparatus I mentioned. The apparatus, the insurance money will replace so I can make up for valuable time lost. Doctor, I tell you, it was no accident. What happened, Mr. Dollar, is that the heavy glass flagon containing the finished rocket fuel additive... Glass, Doctor? A very special glass over an inch thick. The flagon containing about five liters of it was on that marble slab there in the middle of the floor ready to be crated and shipped to... uh, uh, shipped to its destination. I see. I had completed processing it night before last. Early yesterday morning, for some reason I have not been able to determine, the flagon exploded. Well, I'll bet I can find a reason. Where is that assistant of yours? Leon? Yes, Leon Salkoff.
1: Salkoff? Yes, Johnny. A man doing secret work for the rocket missile project hires an assistant with a name like that. No, Todd. Leon I, I, Salkoff. I, I... Doctor, there was a famous, well, I should say infamous character by the name of Salkoff during the last war, a young chemist.
3: Yes, Mr.
1: Darling. Mixed up in a couple of industrial bomb plots.
3: And if this is the same man... It is the same man. Well, then, good heavens. exactly what, what I think. No, 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 you're both wrong. This man was cleared in the war trials. What difference does that make? I say a leopard can't change his spots. But but don't you see that not even he knows the combination to this vault? Some other way to get in? Those little windows up there? <laughs> Eight inches
1: square and two inches thick. And you're sure there's nothing in your process that would cause the
3: bottle to explode? Oh, I have checked and rechecked it. Where was Leon Salkoff when it happened, and where is he now? Well, he, he, he went to Fort Myers for supplies early this morning. He should be back. My guess is that he kept right on going. Yeah, Todd, I'm inclined
1: to agree with you. Because, Doctor, if what you've told us is true, well, somehow, someone must have got to this stuff. How high are those little windows above the ground outside? Oh, about five feet. Then a gun, perhaps, aimed in through a window. But they are all in place and unbroken. Well, any reason why one of them couldn't be removed from the outside, then replaced? Well, I... I don't know. I'm going to see. I'll be right back.
3: What? Do not move, mister!
6: Or I will shoot you right through the heart.
0: Act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in a moment. And now, Act three of yours truly, Johnny Dollar, and the Wayward Moth Matter.
6: your head, mister. Now, wait. One move and I will pull this trigger. Who are you? I will ask the questions. What are you doing here? Where is Dr. Elworth? Answer me. Also, help me. I will shoot you down.
3: Mr. Dollar! Mr. Dollar,
1: did you find anything? Doctor! Stay there, doctor. There's a man out here with a gun.
3: What's that? No, no, don't come out here. Leon, on. no. No, that's Mr. Dollar. What? Johnny Dollar, insurance investigator to arrange the payment of our claim. You're sure, Doctor? Of course
6: I'm sure. Well, I recognized Mr. Swan's car at this shack of the Indian. But when I saw the other car, well, well I was worried about you. Oh, no, 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 it's all right. He's here to help
3: us. Salco, so you finally decided to come back.
6: Mr. Swan. What took you so long, Leon? All the way into Fort Myers. This morning I puzzled over how the flagon could possibly have exploded in the vault. You found the answer?
1: Or have you known it all along, Salkoff?
6: I do not understand,
1: Mr. Dollar. I think I do, Johnny. I thought so from the first. I've heard about you, Salkoff, about some of your activities during the last war.
6: I pray that heaven will forgive me for what I have forced to do in that conflict, Mr. Dollar. Forced? It is my hope that by serving this wonderful country that that has given me refuge, in some way I can make up for the terrible things I was compelled to do for the
3: men who sought to rule the world.
1: Now, that's a very pretty speech.
3: Oh, it's true, Mr. Deller. You've only to consult the records of the war trials. I may
1: take a look at those records before I'm through with this case. I humbly beg you to do so. You still haven't told us where you've been all day, Leon.
6: I tried to figure out how the explosion could possibly have occurred. So I telephoned one of our contacts. Contacts? The glass company that has furnished us with the heavy flagons. But there is no way the additive could have caused them to disintegrate. Disintegrate? No, no, doctor. Where the flagon had stood, we found a pile of granulated glass. The flagon had completely crystallized. Oh, but even so, I... Wait. Of of course. Of course. By some means a critical... Exactly. A critical... The formula for the glass that I obtained from the glassworks indicated the possibility. Would you
1: gentlemen mind telling us what this is all about? Uh,
3: Mr. Dollar, I believe Leon has found the answer. Well, if he has, I'll take back a lot of the things I've said and thought about him. Of course
6: we can't be sure until we've proved it. It means waiting until morning. Oh, great. Meantime, we have a lot of work to do. Oh.
1: most of the night working like dogs swabbing out the vault with a powerful neutralizing solution. Then early in the morning the four of us gathered in the vaults. A flagon like the first one was placed on the marble slab in the middle of the floor. We sat around and waited. A long time. Then I noticed something. The rays of the sun coming through one of the tiny thick windows. The light was focused as though through a magnifying glass. Slowly the powerful, searing pinpoint of light worked its way over to the flagon. Dr. Alworth rose and held a piece of paper where the rays converged. It burst into flame.
3: There! Now you can see the tremendous heat generated at this point. Yes, yes. And of the flagon itself. Exactly. The tempered, thick glass wall of the bottle, uh, tempered perhaps to a highly critical degree. But to crystallize, Doctor?
1: The way the other one did? Leon, I still don't believe it.
3: Well, many things will cause glass to crystallize. Vibrations of many kinds. You've heard, I'm sure, of the tenor who shatters a goblet by the power, the vibrations of his voice.
1: But light vibrations? Oh, Doctor.
3: Of course it... Should have occurred by now. If it's
1: going to at all.
3: Oh, the temperature of that bottle must be terrific. The pressure building up in the glass itself. I don't understand. Still, the angle of the sun is slightly different each
6: day. Or an imperceptible flaw in the one that exploded. Oh, sure. Perhaps the other had some outside stimulus uh, to act as as a trigger. A sudden draft, perhaps. Oh, any little thing.
1: Excuses, Leon, you're stalling. You said the other bottle was in here alone. The doors closed. Only it wasn't because you
3: exploded that thing. I don't know how, but you did it. And if that isn't sabotage... God. Come on, Johnny. This gag has been carried far enough. Look!
6: Look!
1: I saw it too. A tiny moth... attracted by the blazing spot of light on the side of the flagon... where the focus rays of the sun converged. The moth circled. Flew past it. Almost brushing it with its wings... He waited. He circled again. Again. Then dove at it. <sighs> well, time. Yes. Leon. I apologize. Yeah. A tiny moth. Triggered the reaction that disintegrated, that crystallized that bottle into a million tiny grains like sand. And simply because of the difference in temperature of his little body. Seems impossible, but it happened. Expense account total including the trip back to Hartford, $204 even. Remarks? Pay up this claim in a hurry, will you? The more help we can give to people like Dr. Alworth and Leon Salkoff, the better. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
0: Our star will return in just a moment. Now, here is our star to tell you about next week's
1: story. Next week, well, I thought my job in Florida was all done. Far from it, it had just begun. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.